Well, if you want to take your Bibles, we're going to get right into the Word together this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 10. We've been working our way through the book of Romans, and uh, just before we get started in that, there's also some notes, of course, in your worship folder. I invite you to take those out. I'll just say that we, had a, we took advantage of Ian Hamilton being here last week, and man, I sure enjoyed his message. Um, took some good notes on that uh, when he was here last Sunday. We took advantage of that time and went to see uh, our kids in uh, North Carolina and also Kansas City and spent some time with our daughter in North Carolina for her birthday and then we're with our kids and grandkids in Kansas City and uh, the grandkids did a great job of of wearing out grandma and grandpa while we were (laughs) playing with them and we had a blast with them and One of the highlights uh, at our time in North Carolina was I had heard that a friend of mine um, had moved there that I went to high school with in Wichita, Kansas, and he was one of the guys who actually led me to Christ, and I had not seen him for about 40 years, but it was really fun to get together with him, and he's doing great with the Lord and leader in his church and and, uh, talk to him and share with him, pray with him. It was really neat. Um, so I, I heard a, of about a, a pastor outside of Chicago who was uh, filling in as a chaplain in an emergency room. And uh, the first day that he was there, he uh, had to be with the parents of a 12-year-old girl who had come in and had to make the heart-wrenching decision to take their daughter off of life support. And... Um, The next day he went in and she had been driving in a car with a 16-year-old friend who was just starting to drive and this gal had backed into a telephone pole and the pole had fallen forward on the uh, car and fatally injured the 12-year-old and then also injured the 16-year-old. And when the chaplain went and talked to the 16-year-old girl, she said this um, the following morning. She said, I'm going to be like a daughter to my friend's parents. I'm gonna to go to their house every day and babysit for them. I'm gonna wash dishes every night for them. I'm gonna go over even once a week and mow their yard. I'm gonna do whatever they ask me to do. I'm gonna do it for them. I wanna be like a daughter. And the pastor gradually helped her realize that what she did, she could never replace their daughter. And that all she could do was to ask for their forgiveness and hope that they would find it in their heart to forgive her. And they did. And they released her from the debt that she could never repay them no matter what she did, but they forgave her. But this is exactly what we're reading about in Romans and in Romans chapter 10 in particular. This is the, what the Jews were doing in their relationship with God. They, they felt that they could repay God for their mistakes, for their sins, not realizing that their sin was so great before God they could never make up for it. All they could do is ask God to forgive them and, 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 and know and understand that God is so willing to forgive them. That's why he sent the Messiah, Jesus, to forgive them. And that is a righteousness based on faith contrary to what the Jews were trying to do, which is a righteousness based on works and the law. So I want to just review briefly where we've been from the beginning of the year in January. We started in the book of Romans. And in the first four chapters, we saw 
uh, God's wrath that it's poured out on man's sinfulness, and that we are, are all, we have all rebelled against God, but salvation is available to us through faith in Jesus. Though that's kind of the message, if you will, summarized of chapters one through four of Romans. And then in chapters five through eight, Paul talks about the transforming power of Jesus and his death and resurrection to transform us and our lives and give us eternal life, to reconcile us with God, to free us from the power of sin. And and he assures us of eternal life in Romans chapters five through eight. And then in chapters nine and 10, this was two weeks ago that we looked at chapter nine, Paul talks about God's sovereignty in choosing Israel and the importance of faith and of preaching the gospel. And we're gonna talk about that today, but we saw in chapter nine specifically that God will complete the work that he started in us, which should be a great encouragement to all of us. Uh, And then uh, he also talks about uh, the fact that if somebody doesn't put their faith in God, it's not because God is against them, but because they are resisting God. Paul then specifically deals, at the very end of chapter nine, you can look at it, chapter nine, verses 30 and 33, uh, with the fact that Israel was resistant to God because of their pride. And now in chapter 10, uh, Paul gets into this even more, and, and this is important because this is why many people today miss out on the gospel. The Jews were so focused on keeping all the commandments, they didn't recognize what God had done for them by sending Jesus the Messiah. And as we read through chapter 10, and this is on your outline, if you will, keep in mind that there are 12 Old Testament quotations uh, in Romans 10. So it's full of the Old Testament. Paul is, is bringing all of his knowledge of the Old Testament to bear on this subject. So the first thing we see in verses one through 13, and we're gonna kinda read through the passage as we work our way through it, is that the Jews wanted righteousness but tried to get it in the wrong way. That's number one on your outline. The Jews wanted righteousness but tried to get it in their own way. So, verse one, follow along in your Bibles. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. So verse three, we'll stop there for just a moment. Many of the Jews were just too filled with pride to admit that they were absolutely incapable of saving themselves. And so there are only two approaches to God uh, in the scriptures. What we do in our own strength to try to make ourselves pleasing to God, that's one approach to God, and that's what the Jews were doing. They were trying to obey the law to please God, and it wasn't working, and it would never work. It will never work. Or, number two, acknowledge that what is essential for salvation has already been done for us. It's already been accomplished for us by God sending Jesus to die in our place. So, The righteousness of God is given to us as a gift from God uh, through Jesus. It's all a gift from him. So the Jews believed 
that God would accept them based on their ability to follow God's law, if they, as if they could do it all on their own strength and power, which they cannot and could not. And the key word in this, as you've probably already picked up, is the word righteousness. The Jews wanted righteousness, but they were going about it in completely the wrong way. And religious people today do the exact same thing. Works righteousness is defined in the passage, in, in, uh, Paul quotes this in verse five. Um, and he says, if you obey my decrees, this is from a quote from Leviticus, and my regulations, you will find life through them. That was the law. And we know that the law was only accomplished by Jesus. It was fulfilled in him. We can never do the law. We can never accomplish it. Faith righteousness is defined in the Old Testament in Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So he had faith in a big God and that God counted him righteous because of his faith in God. So this seems easy enough to understand on the face of it, but humbling yourself before God is hard. We all know that pride gets in the way for all of us. So, you know, personally before God, we are righteous uh, positionally before God personally before God. The only way that we're righteousness is based on the righteousness of Christ. Um, How do we live that out? It's not by earning it. We can never earn it. We partner with God who makes it happen in our lives because all of life springs from God and who he is. So I I know a lot of you garden. Uh, You grow fruit and fruits and vegetables and and sometimes you bring them to share with people here, and that's a great thing. Um, and so, but, but the point is, it's God who creates the oranges that are on your trees, or the avocados, or the kumquats, or whatever you, you grow, and the, grow in the ground. He has amazing creativity. If you look at all the fruits and the vegetables, and the variety of flowers, the beautiful flowers that we have. So what's our part then in the garden, if this all comes from God? Well, we put in time caring for the garden. We have to pull weeds. I hate weeds. We have to pull weeds. Uh, Maybe we fertilize the plants to give them some food to make sure they grow. We're uh, assuring that they get the right amount of sunlight, the right amount of water. Uh, And all of those, uh, the water, the sunlight, comes from God. It all comes from God. So what the gardener's doing, his actions just reflect his commitment to maintain the garden's beauty and health that God's blessed us with, blessed him with, the garden that God created. And in the same way, biblical righteousness means that God made us righteous by giving us Christ's righteousness, like being a faithful gardener of our hearts and minds. So what that means for us, what's our part in that? Well, we actively remove the gnarly weeds of sin in our lives. I I hate sin, like I hate weeds, but we've got to work at getting rid of those. Developing the virtues of, of the fruit of the Spirit. How do we do that? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so... The love of God, Paul says in Romans 5, 5, if you remember that, has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And that's the same with joy and peace and patience. All of the fruit of the Spirit are developed by the Holy Spirit living in us, but there are things that we can do to, to, to make that happen in our lives. So we allow the, 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 the word of God to shine on our lives. To, to a, we take the word of God and we, we seek to live it out and that we're sanctified through the word. That's what Jesus prayed in the great prayer of high priestly prayer of John 17, verse 17. Jesus prays, sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. 
So that's how we're sanctified. The whole process is God at work in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit involved in that process. So just as the garden is healthy and looks amazing because of the gardener's care, biblical righteousness leads to a life that reflects the glory of God and stands out as a light in the world that makes people, make people around us thirsty for Jesus. That's what we want to do. That's our responsibility. And so in verse four, it says this, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So you have this on your outline. If you want to know the goal and the meaning and the heart of the Old Testament law, then look to Jesus. That's where you will find it. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. All of the Old Testament types that we have are perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. He is the Lamb of God, right? That's what John said when he first saw Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That imagery comes back from Exodus and the, 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 the lambs that were sacrificed um, for the people and to cover their sins to, to, at, during the Passover, to pass over them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Righteousness then that comes from the law may be ideal, but none of us can achieve that. The Jews couldn't achieve that, and we can't achieve that. Their super ha- supernatural help is needed. That's why God sent Jesus. And so, you know, a favorite verse that I have that uh, I'm sure you've heard me before say is 2 Corinthians 5.21. I think it's a great summary of this passage. It's a great summary of the New Testament, really of the message of the Bible. It says this, God made Christ who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's this amazing transfer. Think of us on one side, Jesus on the other side. Think of this exchange. And if this seems fair, Jesus gets our sin, we get his righteousness. It's not fair at all, but that is the grace of God. That's what God has done for us in Jesus. So verse six, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Quoting Isaiah, or I'm sorry, quoting Deuteronomy 30. No one has to go up to heaven to bring Christ down as though he had never been incarnated. Uh, He has been incarnated. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So we know that Jesus has come down from heaven and no one has to go into the grave to bring, bring Christ up from the dead because he's been resurrected already. This is what God has already done for us. Christianity is an already done religion. Every other religion is here's what you have to do to make yourself pleasing to God right now. And that's what's so unique and so great about Christianity. It's what God has already done for us. What each person chooses to do with these truths determines their destiny. And this leads Paul in verses eight and nine of our chapter here, chapter 10, to help us understand our responsibility. Look at verse nine. Uh, Verse eight, we'll start with verse eight. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So verse eight says that the righteousness is the gift from God. 
It's what's already been done for us in Christ. And verse nine, if you declare with your mouth, that does not mean that if you say the words, I believe that Jesus is Lord, that you will go to heaven. That's not what it's saying. Uh, it's not some formula of words that'll get you into heaven. Paul explains, it goes on in verse nine. <clears throat> if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So Paul does not mean here that you only have to believe in this event. <clears throat> you, you only have to believe that the resurrection happened historically. That's not what it's saying. He's saying you believe these in your heart. Uh, <clears throat> you have to understand what the death of Jesus means, what it means for you. What it does mean is that we understand that Jesus bore our sins in our place and when Jesus was raised from the dead, that God the Father was giving his approval of the work of Christ that Christ had done. So what is it? The outward evidence of an inward faith. That's the confession of our mouth. When you genuinely believe, look at those last four words of verse nine, you will be saved. Not you might be saved or you can hope to be saved or that you could be saved. No, it says you will be saved. That's the truth of scripture. No matter how dark your circumstances are right now, no matter how distant you might feel from God, if you feel distant from God, by the way, it's not God who moved. It's you who moved. Because you can be as close to God as you want to be. It doesn't matter how much shame or embarrassment you feel over what's been done in the past. God's salvation is as close to you right now as your mouth and heart. You believe it in your heart, you confess it with your mouth. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe that you are justified and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So saving faith is not just agreeing with these things intellectually, with the heart one believes. So what does it mean to believe? It means, and this is on your outline, to have a deep inward trust in Christ. You're trusting him alone for the core, uh, at the core of your being for your salvation. So it's with your heart you believe and receive it. It's with your heart. It's not with your wallet. It's not that you can give a gift to the church and buy your way into heaven. It's not by having communion and tasting it with your mouth and then thinking, okay, because I've had communion, I'm gonna go to heaven. No. And I've had people say these things to me. And it's not because with your body you get baptized and that that somehow assures your salvation. That's not the promise of scripture. Those are all outward responses to what's happened in our heart already. Think of it like when you sit down on the chair that you're sitting on right now, you transferred the weight from your legs onto the chair. Uh, that's what salvation is. You are transferring the weight of your salvation from you onto Jesus. From your imperfect righteousness that will never be sufficient before God to Jesus' perfect righteousness, <clears throat> excuse me, that he fulfilled in Christ and for you. So that's what salvation is. You're transferring the weight of your salvation onto Jesus. You believe that, that you believe that he is what he says he is. You believe that he did what he says he did, what the New Testament teaches that he did. You lean the whole weight of your soul onto him. Uh, many of the Jews in Jesus' day would not openly confess Jesus. 
In John chapter 12, and if you want to turn there, you're welcome to turn there. But in John chapter 12, it says this. I'm going to read it to you. In verses 42 and 43, it says, Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. Start over. Many people, however, did believe in him, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. That was their problem. They were not willing to humble themselves. They were so concerned about what other people think. You know what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter two is he said, so we speak as messengers from God. We change his message not one bit to suit the taste of those who hear it, for we serve God alone who examines our heart's deepest thoughts. Excuse me. We live for an audience of one. We have to live just for Jesus and for him only, not for anybody else. When a person receives Christ and confesses him openly, that proves his faith, but his faith is, is in his heart. He receives the gift of righteousness. So verse 11, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. The Jews disliked the word anyone or whoever since they thought they were the only chosen people. They thought they were it. They didn't want Gentiles in heaven with them. But what verse 12 is saying, verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. So salvation doesn't distinguish between age. It doesn't distinguish between ethnicity. It doesn't distinguish between education. Anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in verse 13, Paul quotes Joel. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There it is. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, not just the Jew, anyone who calls. So you know, the gospel is the most inclusive religious message ever and and has created the most inclusive community that's ever existed on the face of the earth in the church. You wanna see the most diverse group of people in the world, you look at the church in the world. That's the most diverse group that you'll ever find anywhere and it's definitely not an American thing. It was started in the Middle East and spread to Rome and throughout East Asia, and then it spread to Europe and and beyond, and then finally to the Americas, but it's not an American thing. You wanna know the places where Christianity is growing the most today? It's in China, it's in uh, South America, It's it's in Africa. And what this leads Paul to in his thinking is number two on your outline, for people to believe the gospel has to be preached. This takes us back to Romans chapter one, verse 14, where where Paul said this, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. No distinguishing. So Paul here senses the urgency to proclaim the gospel throughout the whole earth. He feels a responsibility especially to those who have never heard. And Paul's argument here is that, I'm gonna talk about the conclusion of this little section first, is in verse 17. That faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. That's Paul's conclusion. This is why we put a priority when we send missionaries out to do both church planting and Bible translation. 
It's not enough to do one or the other. We've, they both need to happen simultaneously. That's why, I'll tell you what, I have so many friends who are pastors and who would love to, to just know and help support one missionary who is doing Bible translation or church planting among an unreached people language group. That is our priority. That's why our members here, and what a joy and a privilege to be a part of a church that is, has, has sent out missionaries. They have planted around 20 churches in, among unreached people language groups and have done and completed 11 translations of the New Testament, our members. And there are three or four more that are in process and getting ready to be done and uh, other churches that are being planted as we speak through our missionaries. Uh, and that's a, that's a privilege to be a part of that. But you, you can't put faith into somebody you've never heard about. Once you're a follower of Jesus, the responsibility of the gospel is on us to, to share that with other people. With, with great privilege comes great responsibility. It wasn't just Spider-Man who said that. Um, we, all, every Christian has a responsibility before the Lord to share the gospel with those people around us. And as a church, that's why we send people out to unreached people language groups. Martin Luther said it like this. Uh, he said, it doesn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if nobody ever hears about it. So you can't put your faith in somebody you've never heard about. So let's read the four rhetorical questions that begin this little section, starting in verse 14. How then can they call on the one in, in whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in, of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent? As it is written, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message. So Paul's point here, and this is on your outline, in these rhetorical questions is that in order for someone to have true saving faith, there has to be a clear presentation of the gospel. There has to be a clear presentation of the gospel. Faith is always based on the word of God. And so salvation comes to those who genuinely believe and who receive the truths of the gospel. So, do you feel that sense of responsibility? We all should. We should all feel that sense of responsibility. So think about this. How can we have such great knowledge about such an amazing salvation, such an amazing God who would send his son to die for us and not do anything about it in terms of us sharing with the people we love? the people that we're near to, the people we work with, our friends, our family. With the privilege of knowing the gospel comes the responsibility of sharing it with others. I, I didn't acquire the understanding of Christianity because I was something special, not at all. I was as lost and hopeless as, as anybody as you were before you came to faith in Christ. God's work in my life was totally an expression of his grace and his mercy. Nothing that I did it was all of grace. And maybe you thought, how can, it, it just seems so unfair that God can condemn people who don't know about him, who've never heard about him. How could he send them to hell? Well, go back and review Romans 1. 
1 through 3, we've talked about this. Romans has established that it is fair. That's God's word, says this is fair. The human race as a whole has rejected God. I'll tell you what's not fair. What's not fair is that those who have experienced God's mercy and been given a second chance then not do everything we can to get that message out to those who have never had a chance to hear it. That's the motivation for our missionaries to go. That's the motivation for us to send them. Do the people in your life know about Jesus? It's not your responsibility to convert them. It's your responsibility to be a witness. It's your responsibility to give them the message. It's God's responsibility to convert them. But we give them the message. Uh, You know, Kathy and I got a text from a, a friend while we were gone this last week, early in the week. Her name is Ann, and she said her 94-year-old father, a picture of health, was out playing golf like he always does, and 48 hours later, he was on hospice, and two days after that, he died. Things can change so quickly. Um, Talk to some of the people that are part of our family who are in the hospital now. Talk to Nathan, how things change quickly. Uh, He'll be okay, thankfully. I sure hope and pray, and he thinks they will. The doctors think they will. But Anne's father has spent his whole life denying God. And Anne said she has prayed for her father every day for 45 years. She shared the gospel with him while he was still conscious. And at 94 years old, he received Jesus for the first time. Anne said, I can't imagine he'd let me pray. God would let me pray for 45 years and then not bring him to himself. But... That's what, I mean, we need to pray. Who are you praying for? Are you praying by name for some of your friends and family who don't know Jesus? Keep praying for them. Don't give up praying for them. Uh, I know a gal who came to faith and and was invited. um, She came to know the Lord. She was growing, but didn't feel confident sharing Christ with her sister. So she called a, a pastor and asked the pastor to go over and share with her sister, and he did, and, and the sister received Christ, and the sister looked at her older sister and said, you've known about this for six months and you've never told me? What if I died? I, that, that can happen. But we've got this responsibility because we have this privilege of knowing the gospel. So we don't want anyone to go into eternity without being prayed for without being presented the message of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I've talked to, when I've been in conversations with non-Christians who've grown up here, who've heard, you would think they would have had the opportunity to hear. And I'll say, how do you think someone becomes a Christian? They don't know. And so we've got to tell them that it's a free gift that is by grace alone. And we have the privilege of being able to do that. You know, maybe... God is igniting in some of you younger folks the, 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 the desire to go and, and preach the gospel where Christ is, the name of Christ has never been heard. Uh, among an unreached people language group, like God has spoken to the hearts of Mike and Lauren Parker recently and Philip and Zara Dom and Claire Hoyt, uh, all down for training at Radius and then going out into an unreached people language group somewhere to present the gospel, to translate the Bible, to start a church to be a team of people that do that. Maybe God is is moving in your heart in that direction, which is great. 
That was Paul's desire. Paul said this in Romans 15, 20. He said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Wow, we need to, and again, that's our goal as a church. That's what, what we're doing in missions at our church. But what we're doing, we need to remember that we have a responsibility individually to reach out to the people around us. Yeah, there are great needs all over the place. So many needs. And there's so many people doing uh, things to help people be healthy and eat well and have the food they need. But we know that the most important thing about their lives and the suffering that people go through is an eternal suffering apart from God. We need to share the gospel of Jesus with them. Yeah, I think most of you know that Kathy and I spent uh, 10 years in France. Uh, I was teaching at a Bible school there with students from around Europe and some from North Africa as well. It was such a, a privilege to be able to do that. But the thing that moved me to missions, I've mentioned recently the story of Jim Elliot. Uh, one of the things that Jim Elliot shares in his journals is if you were walking along and saw 10 people lifting a log and there were nine people on one end and one person on the other, who would you go to help? Well, it's obvious. We'd go to help the person who's by himself. That's the one that needs the help. And uh, when you compare the access that we have here in this country, say to a group of people in, whether it's in Indonesia or East Asia or another unreached place, there's no comparison. I heard someone say once this way that, is God that bad at math that he would leave so many in places with so much to send so few to those who have nothing at all? It was theologian Carl Henry who said, the gospel means good news, but it's only good news for somebody if it gets to them in time, before they die. So man, we need to do all we can to make sure that the gospel gets out there, to continue to support and pray for our missionaries. At the same time, to remember our responsibility right here. That was Paul's goal in his life. Paul says in Colossians 1, at the end of Colossians 1, starting at verse 28, he says, so naturally we proclaim Christ. We warn everyone we meet and we teach everyone we can all that we know about him so that if possible, we might bring every person up to their complete maturity in Christ Jesus. And he says, this is what I'm working at all the time with all the strength that God gives me. There's no reason that that shouldn't be the life goal of every single one of us. And then verse 17, again, faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Martin Luther translates that, faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard by a, by a sermon preached about Jesus. The preaching of the gospel is central to somebody coming to salvation. And Paul is saying that Gentiles all over the world can only hear the gospel through us and through the church, through us, through God's people. And if that's true, that has to change the priorities in our lives. We have to make that a number one priority. We sang about it this morning. Every person is rightfully condemned before God for our sin. No more than a third of the people on the earth even claim to be Christian. That means that there are at least four and a half billion people on the planet who need to hear about Jesus. 
And missions researchers classify about half of those four and a half billion people as, quote, unreached with no real chance to hear the gospel before they die. That's the urgency that we have in the task before us. They need to hear about a savior before they die from their sins. Otherwise, they will go to a Christless eternity. That's what the Bible says. We're surrounded by so many opportunities on TV, on podcasts, through friends, through church, friends who are believers. Uh, Every single one of the, the lost people that you know that are around the world, those, those billions of people, are, are lonely like sometimes you feel loneliness. They, they hurt sometimes like you hurt. They fear like you fear. So I want to challenge us to think about what we're doing with our lives and, and take this truth that so many people are headed to a Christless eternity. What am I going to do about it? That's what we all need to be asking ourselves. You know, I think one of the greatest qualities of millennials, Gen Z, younger folks, is they, they have learned or they're thinking globally. I think that's a real positive thing. And we want to meet the needs of people, but the, the, the greatest need of all is their need for Christ. What could be a greater calling than spreading the good news where the gospel has never been before? So how do you hear about Jesus? How did you hear about Jesus? Somebody told you. So you can do that same thing with somebody else. You know, if you're not confident of that, we do have a class that we, we, we have four classes that we want everyone here to, to take. The, the, the first class is almost like a Christianity 101. It's a membership class. Uh, and then there's a class on spiritual maturity and a class on spiritual ministry and gifts, spiritual gifts. And then the, the last class, one that I'll be teaching in two weeks, is one on how to share your faith confidently. And so if you've never taken that class, come and take it this in two weeks with me. And, and that'll give you some ideas and some confidence in, in sharing the gospel with your friends. So what's the result of Israel's rejection of Jesus? Well, look at number three on your outline. God's hands remain outstretched. Wow, that's who God is. His hands remained outstretched to us. The Old Testament did promise salvation to the Gentiles. We've seen that already quoted in, in, in Romans 10. But nowhere in the Old Testament does it talk about Jews and non-Jews being one in Christ. But the New Testament is very clear about that. And so what Paul is saying is that through Israel's fall, God's mercy went out to Jews and to Gentiles alike because that was God's plan from the beginning. So that God can have mercy on everyone through faith in Christ Jesus when they they put their faith in Christ. And then Paul, starting in verse 18, quotes the Psalms, he quotes Deuteronomy, and he quotes Isaiah. Isaiah. So pick it up at verse 18. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Verse 19, again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. And then verse 21 tells us very clearly what God's attitude is and was and is to the Jews and to all of us, to all the unsaved. God longs 
for all of the unsaved to believe. God is patient toward us, it says in 2 Peter 3, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then look at verse 21, but concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Have you been disobedient? Have you been obstinate? We all have, I have. And God's arms are open to us. There is always forgiveness at the cross. No matter how many times you need to come back to the cross, there's always forgiveness at the cross. And so before we leave this chapter, I just want to underline and summarize a few things here. They're on your outline. Number one, salvation is not difficult. It's simple. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Secondly, it's important that the word of God be presented to those who are lost. It is the word of God that convicts, that gives faith, and that leads to Christ. That's the second one. It is the word of God that convicts, that gives faith, and that leads to Christ. And then finally, there are really only two religions in the world, works righteousness and faith righteousness. Nobody can fulfill the first, but everybody can respond to the second. You know, this was a number of years ago. I heard uh, uh, a United States senator who was here in San Diego speak to a group of, of believers. And um, <clears throat> it was Senator Dan Coates from Indiana. Uh, he, was the, he was talking about, or he shared this example, that he was uh, on a Senate subcommittee for juvenile delinquency. And he had come to California with some other senators and members of the House to see what was supposed to be a very progressive program that was keeping kids out of juvenile detention centers. And he was super discouraged because he heard the same things that he'd been hearing from other detention centers that weren't working. And so he was kind of discouraged and he was walking around and he said just praying in a hallway by himself and some young kid came up to him and said, you know, they didn't ask me to speak, but I was in here and I will never be coming back. And that got Senator Coates' attention and he said, wow, what happened? And he said, uh, there was an organization called Crew, a Campus Crusade for Christ. And they came and visited me in this detention center and shared Jesus with me and I became a Christian. And then that guy kept coming back and, and helping me grow in my faith. And I know that I'll never be coming back here because my life is committed to Christ now. And Senator Coates was like, wow, that's the message we need to hear. That's what will change a detention center. That's what will keep kids out from, from who are in there from going back again. So then Senator Coates said to the people who were present, I among them, and he said, um, you want to change this country? He said, this country's messed up. That was 20 years ago. This country's really messed up now. Do you want to change this country? He said, walk next door and share Jesus with your neighbor. At work, invite a friend out to lunch and share your testimony with them what Jesus has done in your life and ask if they've ever had anything like that happen in their lives. Share Jesus with them. That's how 
we're gonna change this country. That's how we're gonna change the world. So this morning, I wanna say this. I know that most of us here love Jesus and are believers and know you're going to heaven. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know you're going to heaven. And that's not based on what you think or what you feel. That's based on the word of God. Uh, Paul, or John said at the end of John in 1 John 5, he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope or wish for, that you may know it. What's that based on? It's based on the word of God. It's based on who God is. And so if you don't know Jesus, you're invited to respond to him this morning. We're gonna give you that opportunity. And if you do know Jesus, what are, it's a great privilege. Do you, are you carrying out the responsibility now of sharing that with others? Are you praying regularly for, for non-Christian friends that are in your life, your family members, by name on a daily basis? Like our friend Ann prayed for her dad every day for 45 years. And if you have someone like that, pray. you can pray that God would give you boldness. Paul prayed for that. He asked the Ephesians in Ephesians 6 to pray for him that he might be bold. Paul, who, who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ in Romans 1, was asking prayer for boldness. That's right. And so if he asked prayer for that, we can ask prayer for that. Paul asked prayer for for clarity in preaching the gospel. Paul, who wrote Romans, asking for prayer for clarity? Yes, and we can ask that as well. And then for open doors. Paul prayed for that in Colossians. Give me an open door. And he was creating the open doors as he was praying for that. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. Join me in prayer. Let's bow our heads together. And as your heads are bowed, just ask, will you respond to the Lord this morning? If you don't know him, will you ask him right now? You can ask him in your life. You can say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Please take control of the throne of my life and make me into the kind of person you want me to be. And if you do know the Lord, are you certain that if you died tonight that you'd go to heaven? That's not based on what you think. That's based on the word of God. And if you don't know that, right now you can know that based on his word. And then who are you praying for? Who are the the unbelievers that you're praying for in your life? Father, thank you that you are a God who raised Jesus from the dead and because We're attached to him by faith in spite of the fact that we mess up. Your resurrection pulls us all up. There's always forgiveness at the cross. We thank you that you are in control and you bring us through whatever we're going through right now, however difficult it might be to an abundant life and a full life in Jesus. And we thank you that in the end, no matter what happens here as believers, We can face Monday and we can face the rest of our lives because we can say, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? And we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul at the end of Romans writes this, I pray that God, and this is my prayer for you, pray that God, the source of our hope, 
will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.